Welcome back to Get Outside with Kids, the podcast where we help you have more amazing adventures outside with your kids. We know that our listeners are such thoughtful and deeply feeling people, Jen. And I see this in our interactions. I see this in the conversations that we have with people who've listened to the show. Um, And today we uh, have a guest who actually, this conversation went in a lot of different places that I think we probably haven't really touched on. Some of them are quite quite big topics and for a sort of 20 to 30 minute podcast, they're, they're obviously not something we can tackle the whole topic in. But our guest today, Jade, had so many amazing tools and resources, Jen, for us to start to think about some big topics like how to incorporate Indigenous ways of knowing into your kids' education or into your kids' uh, world, um, as well as eco-anxiety and a bunch of other pretty heavy topics, right? Yeah, no, I Jade spoke so beautifully about them, you know, and I think we were teary-eyed at a few moments there, but we also left really uplifted with the sentiments she shared, especially at the end of the episode. You know, we asked Jade to sum it up, um, her takeaway message, and I think she just did that so beautifully to kind of leave us on that high note. So we really encourage you to listen in, uh, set a few moments aside this week because it's such a great episode and we learned so many new things. So Jade is a physical geographer, an environmental educator, an outdoor instructor, and a guide based in Revelstoke here in beautiful BC. Jade has been designing and delivering environmental and nature-based programs for over 15 years across four continents and seven countries. What Jade's bio doesn't include is that she's a delight to chat to um, and has a fascination with many scientific topics, which you'll see come out, um, and also brings humour to a lot of what could be very heavy topics. So we hope you'll enjoy this episode with Jade. We're so happy to have Jade with us here today. Welcome to the show, Jade, and thank you for joining us today. Wonderful to be here. So, Jade, you're joining us today from Revelstoke. Firstly, very beautiful place. I was in Revelstoke for a conference in May and I was like, I can see the attraction of this place. So, thank you for joining us from a beautiful place. It's probably calling to you with lots of amazing outdoor adventures right now. Um, and you, you're working there at the Outdoor Learning Store. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Outdoor Learning Store is and what you provide for educators in particular? Yeah, absolutely. And yes, obviously, this wasn't my given home. This was a home that I came to um, only about seven years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, as an uninvited guest initially, and uh, a place that has come to become uh, a sole place for me. So as an environmental educator, that's what I was originally doing. Uh, and through that work, I realized that this place um, had a history that far preceded uh, the people that look and sound like me. And so this is the traditional territory, I should say, of the Sinaixt. Uh, I live at Skihikaton, where the ridgelines meet the water um, along the banks of Skihikuha, which is the swift river uh, in the Inselshine language. That's the language of the Sinaixt people, the people of the bull trout. Uh, so this is their home. And I, I see that river every day out of my window. And it does. It draws to me. Um, it's also known to the Shikwetik, um Okanagan Silks and Tanaha First Nations. So Lim Lim to Sukasukani, um, uh, Cook's Jam to all of the people and the mentors that have uh, worked with me. But the outdoor learning store, our HQ is actually in Invermere, Shikwetmuk and Tanaha lands. Um, and then I, I work remotely here. And initially what it was is that we um, offered these uh, environmental education programs through CBEAN, which is the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, uh, CBEAN for short. Um, and that's a, a non-profit um, dedicated to supporting um, outdoor and place-based learning. And I started off as an environmental educator there. And then pandemic hit. What we realized is, that, you know, non-profits are quite hard to keep alive. Um, was, okay, so how? <laughs> yeah. 
how can we make ourselves more um, sustainable? Um, and so what we did was we opened the Outdoor Learning Store. So it's a charitable, non-profit social enterprise. We got tools, equipment and resources um, to support anybody with outdoor learning, whether it's simply getting outside and needing practical things like a clipboard or a sit pad for your butt, because nobody likes a wet butt. Um <laughs> I'm allowed True. to say but on the radio. I'm you are you. definitely allowed to say that <laughs> and <Okay>. more. <laughs> oh, oh. Don't tempt me. Um, and then resources. So whether that is um, sort of more pedagogical about uh, invoking imaginative education in ecological education or, um, you know, dirty teaching or messy maths from the the mother of all outdoor learning knowledge, uh, the one and only Juliet Robertson, um, to some more sort of playful things like playing in, in the muck and other arty stuff, which is sort of art accompaniments to a walking curriculum. Basically, all the things to get you out. Um, and then professional development has, has built out of that. And that's sort of where I spend most of my time when I'm not boots on the ground, hanging out with kids in the forest, um, of which I'm very lucky. It's all around. Um, so yeah, trying to make sure that educators and that for us includes all parents, caregivers, anyone in a space of sharing um, to give them the tools that they need to really connect with nature more. I say that was such a beautiful intro, Jade. Thank you for that. Now, as we can tell by your accent, uh, you know, you weren't, you're not here from Canada, as you alluded to in the beginning. And I'd love to know as somebody who, you know, came from overseas, what were some of the differences you maybe noticed in our outdoor culture or even our weather that you maybe had to adapt here for the first time when you moved to Revelstoke? That is huge. And I actually came to Revelstoke sort of circuitously across seven countries and four continents over the last decade. So wow, a bit that's a big trip. Yeah. <laughs> It started off as a short one and just sort of kept getting extended with a sort of, yeah, there was no sell-by date. Um, yes, so I grew up in England on the edge, the cusp of where London sort of dips out into to the countryside in a place called Essex. And so it was deciduous woodlands, um, but also a you know 10-minute train into central London. So I had this sort of dichotomy of urban and natural. And we weren't camping people it was, you know, nature was a, a slightly, you know, offhand. We would eat our lunch in the car if it was raining. Um, but I had this this love and connection to nature through a love for trees and a love for being outside. And um, as I left, I did a degree in physical geography and environmental chemistry. And then I, I started traveling. And then I started just connecting with, with schools as I was traveling in Australia and New Zealand and I lived up in the Arctic in Norway for a bit and in France. And, and I was just really intrigued to see how those outdoor cultures were. And so I would just, I just called them and say, Hey, could I come in for a bit and hang out and do some stuff on fossils, which is my specialist subject. Uh, and they were like, yes, come. And then I realized that I could actually, you know, that that was a business and that I could do this for a living as opposed to just rocking up with my fossil making kit and my bag of rocks <laughs> that I'd been lugging across these continents. Um, and so much to my husband's chagrin. Uh, and so I'd, I'd go to these places and um, then it became a thing. But I, what I really noticed is that the culture, it, this is the reason I live here, is because of the connections Canadians have with place and the honour and respect that they have for it, for the integration of their mind, body and soul into their recreation, into the way they live their lives. It's not about how new your car is. Um, it's about what 
what how much functionality does it have it's not about how big and shiny your house is it's like how big is that garage for all of your kayaks and your canoes and your skis and <laughs> you know <laughs> I so, know true. I, so true and you know what my dad will love this because he came he was here last week we were on the island traveling together he'd never been and i love it and he was the person who took me out into nature the first time and you know riding bikes through the forest and looking for the bluebells in spring when they'd pop up and he's like single any any ladies in essex you know he's ready <laughs> um, 65 loves walks i'm and sure that's at- really our listenership but maybe oh, okay <laughs> maybe no but his um his thing was that he said he was looking at, at um bumble which the app is using to date and and the women in comparison here to the uk he was just like here everyone's outside um mm-hmm. i like to go kayaking i like to paddleboard i'm out with my kids or my dogs and i'm out you know in nature and and you know in england he was saying you know it's like i, I like to watch netflix and it's okay <laughs> it's okay to watch tv but he's like just the demographic is different yeah. so yes yeah powerful connection here so, Jade, similar to me, I mean, uh, from my accent, you can tell I'm not from Canada and Canada is my chosen home as well. Um, you know, as you sort of alluded to in your your introduction there, um, there's so many Indigenous stories entwined into Canada and to d- at different places around Canada as well. And I think for some educators um, and also for many parents, beginning to kind of incorporate Indigenous ways of knowing and, and Indigenous worldviews and learning about that can feel really, really overwhelming. It can feel like there's just, there's so many pieces to it and so many, you know, so many different ways you could approach it. Can you tell us how you kind of came to that journey and what you would recommend to educators and parents who are trying to in, in, instill in their kids an appreciation for um, Indigenous peoples? I mean, anywhere in the world, but we're talking particularly about Canada. Big oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a big one. I'm like running through the like in my mind for the last seven years. Um, but look, I came here with zero knowledge. When I was in Australia and New Zealand, you, you met Aboriginal Māori people and then I started to, you know, clock this sort of colonial thing. I'm like, oh, and that's why the visas are easy. And that's, you know, so there is a big feeling, um, this disparate feeling of of like how grateful I am to be in this country and the fact that that was at first at least easier for me because i am british and part of the Mm -hmm. commonwealth of course the the only commonwealth as retained in that um you know original people were not in the people that they came and stole from and decimated (sighs) well put well put yes i get what you're at yep (laughs) and so i didn't know anything and then i came here and i started to do outdoor learning land-based learning and basically, it was the author of a book called Swift River. She's a non-Indigenous person called um, Lara Stovall. Um, but she, I met her and we were talking about the environment here. And she said, well, you know, this is tonight's land. And if you don't know about it, you should read my book. She wasn't trying to sell it. She gave me a free copy. And I read it and I was like, oh, my goodness. And how to be that... Um, for it to be so out of my consciousness to not even think about really knowing what had happened. Our history is very limited to like the wars we've won and how successful we've been in these things. So anyway, I went to a dinner. I was invited to a dinner first where, um, without going to names, but tonight's people were there, how people were there um, connecting over dinner. And I just sat and listened. And then I started going to Indigenous events. There was a young uh, Shikwetmuk woman doing a medicine walk, which is where she went to the 
residential school that her family had been in and brought the spirits of the children who had died there home. She walked Highway 1 for 350 kilometers, named Sasha Eugene. She also wrote a phenomenal book called Ninim, which is a poetry book about her experiences as a young Indigenous person. She's very uh, powerful and sad in lots of ways, but also um, very motivating uh, for people. And I basically started to participate in this world. Uh, and the, I was in a medicine healing circle with an elder uh, who's actually Cree Blackfoot. And basically the conversation went where I sat there silently. Uh, and then she she pointed at me at a certain point and was like, hey, you big mouth. And I was like, oh, looking around like, <laughs> "Did I, have I been speaking while I've been trying to be silent? Because that's a thing. Like, that's a problem. Um, and she said, you yeah, know, I know you're trying to sit there all quiet. But I see you because you've got a big mouth. And actually, several of my Indigenous mentors have called me this now <laughs> at various points, mostly in a positive way. Um, and she said to me, I see you and you've got a platform and here's what I need you to do. Like li literal task giving, you know, like wow. here, it, this is this is what it was very spiritual, very moving, big ceremonial thing. She said to me, you've got a platform and a big voice and you're not afraid to use it. And I need you to go out there and uplift for us. So the first thing you've got to do is shed that settler guilt. It's just get rid of it. Hmm. It does nothing for us for you to sit there and to feel awful about what's happened in the past. We can't work with that. What can I do with that? Nothing. I get it. You don't want to act like your ancestors did. Great. Let's move on. So the first thing, get rid of your guilt. Second thing is uplift and empower Indigenous voices. So when they can't be here because they're in community trying to save their children, uh, trying to reestablish and revitalize language, trying to reconnect to their cultures that were stolen, read books read indigenous authored books that have been published listen to indigenous people who are on radio shows or podcasts link to that host workshops because that's the space i'm in that have indigenous creators speaking their truth in that moment and that's what we do through our free online workshops and our four seasons of indigenous learning which is all about creating space for indigenous people to share their stories so that was it really I could talk to you for the hours and days of of the layers of things and the learning and the continuous learning journey I'm on. But that's the basics of it. Wow. You were given tasks in that way. That is how powerful, hey? How powerful. I think um, that, you know, I, I also came from, you know, a place of total ignorance coming to Canada. And I think just recognizing that as a first step, if you are not from Canada, recognizing that any assumptions you've made about honestly anything, <laughs> but particularly <laughs> around Indigenous history, um, based on, you know, the country you might have come from are probably totally wrong. And you need to just sort of move through all of that and 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 actually figure it out. Um I think that's so such an interesting path that you took there, Jade. And I'm guessing, you know, that for educators who are able to to use a lot of the professional development courses you mentioned, that they're able to sort of access a lot of what you've learned through all those voices that you're elevating then through through your um, courses and events. Well, that's the hope. I mean, the last two seasons, we've had over 12,000 registrants, which these are virtual. And again, I would say, like, if you're a parent, um, these workshops, they're 60 minutes, they're short, they're sweet. There's always prizes. Um, everyone oh. loves prizes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we incentivize learning for anyone and everyone. Um, oh. um, but it, 
there's there these opportunities to listen to different perspectives and i think that's the biggest one for me is that most people in outdoor and environmental weird look like me they're white women between the ages 18 to 40 uh and so i'm really intrigued and interested in other people's perspectives whether that is indigenous uh black people other people of color uh other marginalized communities who haven't had a voice and whilst i cannot change you know physically who i am in that space i can I can share it and I can say, come, let me, let me share these resources. Uh, let me read these books. Let me, um, listen to different, uh, perspectives that, that uplift us all. So that's, that's my hope. So Jade, um, firstly, I'm, I'm still kind of blown away by the 12,000, 12,000 number, but anyway, <laughs> so just thinking about, you know, the kinds of things, in general, when parents are trying to get outside with kids, we've had lots of guests on our podcast who've told us again and again, the thing that we always hear is, you know, child-led unstructured play outdoors is so valuable to our kids in so many different ways. However, that we know as well that there are books and gear and toys and tools and a whole lot of different things that can make that transition, particularly maybe for a kid who's just learning how to get outside um, and for parents who are just learning how to get outside uh, can make that transition a little bit easier. If you had, I mean, I'm thinking of our typical listener here who might have a couple of kids, a typical listener is probably us, Jen, a couple of kids aged, oh, I don't know four and six, um, maybe one's a school-age kid, one's preschool, and they're looking for some advice about like gear and books and things that can help them on that kind of journey to becoming more comfortable outside and learning about the world around them. What kinds of things do you think they need? I mean, other than nothing, other than just going outside and doing it. <laughs> exactly. Just go outside, whatever the weather and go to the same spot again and again, ideally every day or every week in different seasons and things and stare at the same tree and just say, hey, what do we notice about the tree today? Like if you're doing that or even if you're just going outside and breathing fresh air, the, the physical, psychological, emotional benefits of that are are outstanding. But I think the biggest thing for me, and this is tied into the um, the reawakening, I call it, the reawakening of the knowledge that exists within our biology and our, our evolutionary biology, our genetics, this reawakening of our connection as part of nature, not separate from. Mm -hmm. And we do a lot in our modern society of creating separation, of creating barriers. And and these are the, and there's no pan-Indigenous, but these are the, the worldviews that have been reawakened in my work here, which is that everything is all about relationship and so if you're busy got a couple of kids and you say you've got one who's very high energy um uh, yes at least bounces from <laughs> topic to topic uh goes off on tangents is it me that i'm speaking about it is uh the kid who can't sit still the kid who interrupts and has a constant stream of thought well hey how can i channel that into inquiry-based learning, which basically just is like, here's a set of prompts and we're going to do it together. Mm -hmm. So not only do we build relationship with ourselves and the people that we're looking after, we build relationship with the place that we're in that's specific to whatever space we're in, whether that's urban and it's a balcony or whether it's urban and it's a park that we can walk to or get a bus to or out in the forest or the lake or the stream, depending on where you live. Um, yes, can I frame things so... We have these rituals, so rituals and routines that make everyone feel safe, 
that build a practice of knowledge and understanding together. So whenever we get somewhere, we're going to do a a really simple, um, I notice, I wonder, it reminds me of. And I do this from kindergarten to grade 12. And I do it. I do it. And my awareness and my connection to the place around me has blossomed. And, you know, I did it as a science degree. But actually, this is (laughs) if we could teach kids to do it right now. I notice. I notice. That the leaf is is darker on one side and and lighter on the other. Mm -hmm. I wonder why that is. Why why does it need to be light on one side? Or is it dark because it can't see the light? Or is it dark so that it provides a shady house for the bugs that live under there? And it reminds me of uh, the fact that I've seen a fish once and he was light on the top and dark on the bottom. Or uh, Mm. the way it feels light when I look at the top of the trees and dark when I look at the bottom of the tree trunk underneath all of the layers. So anything like that. And so I notice, I wonder, wonder, it reminds me of. Reminds me of. We have several resources um, that speak to this. There's Jacob Rodenberg's The Big Book of Nature Activities, which takes you uh, on a journey through all the seasons of all these really short, sharp little activities you can do, um, to how to teach nature journaling, which for (laughs) me, oh, there's so much science here. Can you tell that I'm a nerd? Um, (laughs) But we can we, tell and we love it, by the way. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> that when we write, when we draw and when we write numbers, you know, like putting the date and, and making observations about the world around us, it, it, it builds the neural pathways that embed memory. It, it builds literacy and numeracy on top of what they're learning in a, in a formal education and you create these, these evidence you know, these beautiful books, if you use the same thing and they go out every day and you can clip it, it could even be a, a scrap bit of paper you clip to a clipboard. So this is where the tools come in, right? Mm-hmm. Clipboard, um, sandwich bag over the top if it's raining, where you can build this history, this story. <laughs> and 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 First Nations principles of learning that we have in BC talk about everything is embedded in story. And what I want to do is share the stories of why nature and the outdoors have enhanced my life in so many ways and when we give them the capacity to tell their own stories not only do we build that relationship with place we give them the tools to communicate to be strong to know that their opinion is important and when we all listen together in our sharing circle our gratitude circle let's say this is another thing we can do that comes in all shapes and forms at the end of that time outside that your child can know that you are also really pleased to be there with them and then what they have experienced and inquired about and learned matters to you as much as it does to them. Yeah, I think that's such a great topic and kind of a segue for another question we wanted to ask you because we were kind of spitballing this before we had you on here, Jade. Uh, and obviously, climate change, big topic, highly relevant to the work you're doing. But how do you introduce a topic like climate change to a group of smaller, younger children, let's say under 10-year-olds, without, you know, firstly overwhelming them, but probably more importantly, you know, scaring them to death? You know, the world is on fire and the glaciers are melting. So how do you broach a subject like that, which is important for some of these topics we want to cover, but, you know, in a child-appropriate way? Yeah, like just for example, Jade, my kid asked me, my six-year-old asked me recently, are humans destroying the earth? Can you respond to my six-year-old? <laughs> yeah, wow. I had a go. I had a go. But honestly, like, it breaks my heart to have to answer these questions. And any <sighs> advice, deeply welcome. 
absolutely and, and uh, paleoclimatology is my specialist degree so i spent my entire time focusing on reconstructing millions of years of climate to put into like climate circulation models to predict future climate so like i'm in i'm deep i've been deep in it for years um and is there are it's worrying so there's a couple of things um firstly acknowledging thoughts feelings fears that come up and i think you know when we're talking about anything to do with with uh, you know the well-being of children or young people is like i hear you so uh, yeah, i i that is a really valid question mm-hmm. and i wow what a thoughtful question you've brought to me um i think it's a complex question that has many answers and let me think on it for a minute if you need to give yourself space to have a second come listen to this podcast come back um, go and have a little cry yeah go have a little now. cry yep. yeah a little yep. self maintenance hug behind the door um <laughs> i'm like literally visually i do it all the time and i do teach kids about this for like all the time uh, under that age of you know where you'd love to um not have them exposed to doom and gloom Mm-hmm. hey social media hey loud news hey everybody's speaking about things children are receptive and smarter than we give them credit for i mean mm-hmm. i think the people listening to this are probably giving their kids heaps of credit so yay you but lots of complexity and um, so my big thing is is what i really like to focus on and there's some really great work and i can link to it one of our partners earth rangers and um, they did a big eco-anxiety um survey and then they produced some really great resources for parents specifically right um so i'll link to that for you but what it basically says is acknowledge uh and then it says we're going to empower so the reality is yes that as humanity lives, we do things that impact on the planet, that change it. They change the surface on the soil. They change things in the air. Um, but we're also um, able to do things um, in a better way or there are options. Um, so we, when we walk or ride our bike to school together, we're making a great impact on the earth that that isn't. Um, destroying it but supporting it um when we decide that we don't need that new toy or maybe we share um do a clothing swap or go to the thrift store for a t-shirt instead of buying a new one um we're doing really great work because every time we create new stuff of course it does make it makes a bit of an impact it's like if you're digging out in the dirt with your digger or spade every time you do something there's there's an we see there's an outcome. Uh, maybe that you've moved something. There's a hole there. And we've got to fill that hole so we can fill it with these great actions that we take. Um, the other thing I'd really like to focus on is is just weather. It's like giving kids a scientific understanding of like the weather changes. Okay, the seasons change. The tree in the yard or the park that we're visiting, hopefully really frequently and maybe making notes about, maybe observing. Mm metadata yes um when we look at that and we see change so we see change all around us and so that's a big part of the way our world works Mm. and so what we have to think about is "Mm, okay are the things that we're doing um gonna make a possibly a difficult change or could we do some things to to make some positive change to make some good things happen um so Oh, again, this should be a whole episode on its own. Um, but really, I think just empowering to take action. Mm-hmm. We're going to recycle. We're going to compost our food because when we compost, um, even if it's one of those tabletop ones, um, 
we reduce emissions and you could get into that with some of the 10 year olds like mm-hmm. it's smart um but yeah i think that's what i've got in this moment acknowledge and empower I think, um, you know, we were actually introduced, Jade, through a mutual friend, Rochelle Strauss, who's been on our podcast with her. She's an author of many books and uh, hopefully they'll be available in the Outdoor Learning Store too. Um, And I know she's working and has worked on many projects of trying to have those hope, those (laughs) reminders of hope, you know, Um, and the things that like Jen and I took our kids and did a shoreline cleanup with them. That was a little while back, Jen, down at the the trail down here. And I was walking with my oldest kid the other day and she still remembers that. She was like, yeah, remember when we saved the earth by doing that thing? And, you know, they, they're very tangible things. So, um, being able to have those activities and those impacts at hand to be able to say that has, I think, helped me to at least begin to answer it. Um the other, the other book that we know we've seen on the Outdoor Learning Store, and I think you kind of alluded to it in your first sort of uh, recommendations about observation, is uh, Lauren McLean and Me and My Sit Spot. And she's actually a local author. She's just down the road from us. She's been on our podcast twice. Um, and we love that idea too. So if you're listening to the podcast and you remember Lauren, um, that idea of the sit spot, of going out into the same spot and observing the same things again and again and again that Jade has mentioned um, is that's part of her book there and such a such a useful exercise. Um, so, Jade, all these sort of resources that you've shared here and all these trainings and uh, possibilities for parents and educators alike, I like the way you described educators, by the way, as, you know, that that does include parents because as we've just discussed, we're trying to educate them on all kinds of things that we know very little about. So, we are educators. What's the best place for people to find all of these resources online? So you can find us at the outdoorlearningstore.com. Um, it's sort of a one-stop shop. So if you are working, let's say, with a local community group or your homeschool group um, and you could get access to funding, there's a funding page. We've got a partners page, which has over 70 uh primarily Canadian, but North American wide non-profit outdoor learning partners. So you can look to learning for a sustainable future, which is an amazing free resource, both in English and French that have all these amazing lesson plans, read weekend park visit plans um, <laughs> that you, that are seasonal. They have these step outside nature guides that got, follow the seasonal things that happen in Canada, like month to month, week to week um, or plans that you can integrate you know, to green learning or other things. So there's mm-hmm. that there. And yeah, there is a store. Um, again, just spending time with your kids outside. That's all that matters is experience, mm-hmm. exposure, relationship, community connection. Um, but yes, if you need some support with that, little binoculars or bug viewing things and things to to facilitate um, some deeper investigation or connection pieces, then you can find everything there. There's a professional development tab. We do run these seasonal free workshops. Like I said, thousands of people, um, can't believe it, uh, come. And we do have some more like right micro credentially things that are just mm-hmm. like four live workshops with myself and one of the authors of these books, mm-hmm. deep diving into what you could do to really sort of build your knowledge around it. Mm-hmm. And those are seasonal. So they run over four weeks. Uh, we just launched uh, the first ones happening um, this fall, which is on about um, play-based learning. Then in the winter, we've got one on nature activities. And in the spring is going to be on wild learning if you really uh, want to deepen uh, that. Right. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Jade, to wrap this up. If you, and we normally ask our guests to do this in like a couple of sentences, but like if you had to wrap up your message to parents and educators about, your, I mean, it's your life's work here, right? 
Oh, yeah. What would you say is your message to parents and educators? We have been learning, growing, developing outdoors since the inception of humanity. It is our evolutionary biology to be out there, rain spattered, mud soaked, squelching around. And we got rain boots now and and hats and gloves and stuff. So it's much easier. I recognize that you are busy. You have the toughest job on earth. I see it. I'm not one because I see how difficult it is. I see you doing the best you can in whatever you do. You've got those kids um, who are hyperactive and are struggling indoors. Take them out. They're going to be leaders. Spend time with them. Connect to the world around you because you are. We are all made of stardust. We are all a part of the environment, not separate from it. And more time you spend out there, even if it's 10 minutes a day, builds to half an hour, builds to an hour, you will see physical, social, emotional benefits. Please go outside. Yes, Jane. That was perfect. That was so perfect. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I can't, I can't cry. I can stuff feel your passion. <laughs> yeah, it's all happening. Well, thank you so much, Jade, for being on the podcast today. It's been truly a beautiful and moving episode at times, like nearly bringing tears to my eyes here. So many wonderful messages uh, for parents and educators of all backgrounds to take away. Um, as always, we'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Um, and if you yourself think that you'll be a great uh, guest to have on here to contribute some wonderful things like Jay did for us today, uh, then please reach out to us on Instagram at Get Outside With Kids. Uh, for more, we hit subscribe and we'll be back next week for more episodes.